Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. One of the callings of this church, the Lord spoke to me many years ago, is about helping those that are sensing a call to the ministry that we would come alongside them and raise them up and equip them and send them out. This third statement of our vision statement, send the empowered. We believe that that's God's heart for this church. And I want to introduce a gentleman that's a part of that, Blake Hart. Blake and his wife, Ray, have been attending this church for many months now. And and it's been a great privilege of mine to get to know this young man. I can tell you that after many hours of discussions and time spent with Blake, he's a man that loves the Word of God and has the call of God upon his life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll give you one, one quick story. I, I told Blake that before I put somebody in the pulpit, I've got to do a full vetting process. I've got to hear him preach. And so I was looking for opportunities to do that with him preaching places like the rescue mission, and we just couldn't, couldn't connect, didn't get a chance to do that, so I just called him up a a couple of weeks ago, and I said, okay, I'm tired of waiting. 5 o'clock Monday night, 5.30 right here at the church. And so Blake preached to me and my wife and his wife sitting right there in the front row in this sanctuary. And so it was a great opportunity to hear him dish the word. And so now you're going to get to be privileged to hear that as well. So, brother, I give you my pulpit, man. God bless you. Thank Power you. Thank you. Yeah, that was probably the, uh, the toughest crowd of my life. Uh, and uh, the first service was a lot easier because now my, my beautiful wife's here, and so I'm going to try not to get distracted by her, uh, but it's just such a blessing to be here with you this morning and such an opportunity to get to share God's Word. We live in a time that it is so easy to develop the famished heart, so easy to be discouraged by the news that you see every day. You look at life, you look at people, things just seem a lot different than they once were. But God is unchanging. And nothing heals a famished heart better than the power of God's Word. And so I pray that uh, your heart be open this morning. So let us pray real quick before we enter because I, I desperately need Him. Lord, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place this morning. And I know that it's your presence. God, I ask you like Isaiah, purify my lips. Fill my heart and remove any obstacle that I might be to keep your word from clearly going forth. God, I ask you to open every heart, to open every ear in this room, that your word may fall onto fertile ground. God, thank you for establishing your word in the mouth of babes, but that will never be more true than this morning. Thank you for using the weak things of this world to shame the mighty. God, I need you. 
we need you. We praise your wonderful name. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. What arouses the greatest passion in your life? Every person has a master passion. An overruling ambition that drives their soul. This master passion inflames their heart. It establishes their purpose and it empowers them to overcome any obstacle. It can be seen as a person's highest aim, the greatest motivating factor of their life. It's what gets them up in the morning and what most captivates their imagination. And even to the most stoic and clinical of us, there is not one person in this room who does not have such a passion. For some, it's family, their spouse, their loved ones. For some, it's their job, their work. For others, it's friends enjoying time with them. For others, it's hobbies, sports. By the way, the games are recorded. Don't tell me what happened. For some, it's hunting and fishing. And in and of these things, there's nothing wrong with them. For God has placed a passion in our heart for them. And these are to be cherished. They're to be enjoyed. But what's important is that they always take a secondary role to what our master passion should be as believers. Our master passion must always be growing in our intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ. Today I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 63. You see, no book in the Bible reveals the internal struggles and the internal joys quite like the inspired hymn book of Scripture. The book of Psalms gives light to one of the most beautiful pictures of the soul of a believer. And no matter what you're going through each day of your life, I'm almost positive you can find a psalm that matches exactly what you need. Psalm chapter 63. It reads, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. 
Wow. How do you add to that? How do you expound something so marvelous, so beautiful? The greatest commandment of all is to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. This love which we are to have for God is to capture and captivate the entirety of our being, of our mind, of our affections, of our hearts, and of our wills. These aspects must be under the complete dominance of our love for God. See, Christianity is a personal relationship with Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. That is to say that we have surrendered our entire heart to who Christ is and what he has done. Jesus, in speaking of the Pharisees, said, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, true believers are those who have come to completely love God. And it is that love for him that truly defines our lives. As we grow in our relationship with God, we grow in our affections towards God. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a growing, passionate love for Him which develops in the wellsprings of our soul. And in order to reach this highest level of love, we must cast away and cast aside every idol of our heart. As John Calvin wrote, the human heart is a factory for making idols. And we must be a vigilant people, constantly putting away these competing idols that often distract us from the Almighty. Nothing must rival our supreme love for God. He must be our number one affection. Jesus in Luke 14 says, if any is to be his disciple, they must take up their cross and follow him. God, thank you for the cross, yours and ours. Jesus never just assumes a place in our life. He doesn't just take the place of a time slot in an already overcrowded schedule. He must have the place of unrivaled supremacy in our lives. This love for God must be marked by passion, by excitement, by fervency, and by enthusiasm. Which, by the way, enthusiasm literally, literally comes from the base in theos, meaning in God. And that is to say that the only true and sincere enthusiasm is found in our love for God. Any other enthusiasm falls vastly second to this. Psalm 63 shows what it is to have a passionate heart for God. Here is a soul that is pursuing God to the deepest of depths. It's titled, A Psalm of David in the Wilderness of Judah. To give you a little historical context here, David has fled to the wilderness of Judah. He has been pursued by his son Absalom, who had risen up in rebellion and tried to host a political coup to destroy David. A lot of this can be read in the book of Kings and, and Samuel. And we see so much of David's life affected by the mistakes that he makes. 
Do not think that mistakes do not have consequences, my friends. David finds himself in a dry and weary place. The desolate, arid land of Judah in this dry wilderness. His body must have been thirsting for food, hungering. I can only imagine the thirst that was welling up within his mouth. And yet in this wilderness experience, there is even a greater thirst welling up in the soul of David. It is the thirst for God. In this deep pit, in this vast trial, David is growing in his heart a desire for more of God. It is often said that our trials either make us or they break us. They either draw us near to God or drive us from from Him. Closer and closer, David is being drawn to God. He seeks to know Him. And he seeks to know Him more deeply than ever before. And in so doing, David becomes for us an example. An example of what our hearts should be in the passionate pursuit of of our personal relationship with God. Do you know what it's like to be in the wilderness experience of life? A dark trial where hope seems desperately hard to find. Family troubles. Trials where you're caught off guard. You didn't see it coming. Maybe you've been run out of a job and you didn't know what's going to happen next. Maybe you've been opposed. Maybe you've been attacked even by loved ones. This is everything that David is going through in this exact moment. And all of us have or will have to experience the fiery trials in this life. And these are to be the times in our experiences with the Lord where we grow to our deepest yearning to know Him more passionately and deeply than at any other times in our life. And so I want to walk you through this beautiful Psalm of David. What does it look like? What does it feel like to see someone on fire for God? Who in this room has a burning desire to know God more deeply? I want to give you six distinguishing marks from this psalm that tell us what it is to have a passionate heart for God. The first mark. A passionate heart for God prioritizes God. Those who have a passion for God are those who have truly prioritized their relationship with Him. And there is no other relationship, no other activity, no other pursuit that takes preeminence Over their relationship with God. And that's exactly what we see here in verse 1. David begins, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. This word earnestly in some translations is translated early. And it has given many the idea that this was meant to be a morning psalm. I differ in that understanding as I believe it is meant to be used metaphorically. Meaning that we are to seek God before anything and anyone else. 
It's about prioritizing God's place in your life. The word seek is referring to a desperate and exhaustive attempt to pursue something with all that you are. And this speaks of those who are most passionate for God. Those that if you could pull back the curtain of flesh and reveal their heart, you would find an engine driven by their desire for God. They take the utmost initiative in seeking God and seeking His will. Now I want to note that God is the great initiator. God is the great pursuer of souls. And there is no pit of hell too deep that His hand cannot reach and snatch you from. But may it never be in our relationship with Him that we become passive, clinical, stoic, and cold with our affections towards Him. Sitting back and just waiting. That's not what David is exhorting here. He says, Oh God, you are my God. David's not just affirming that there is a God. He's not just saying that, yes, God exists, but my God. An affirmation of his devout relationship with the Almighty. You are my God, and I will seek you earnestly. Do you hear the resolve in that? Is that the same determination that your heart has for God? Do your resolutions sound anything like that? Do your New Year's resolutions sound anything like that? When Jonathan Edwards was 18 and 19 years old, he penned his famous 70 resolutions, each one beginning with the active firm Resolve. How many of us are living resolved lives? That we would so discipline our lives that the arrow of our heart would constantly be pointed towards the direction of God. And that we, like David, would seek Him earnestly. Again, this word earnestly means first and foremost. And that is the only place that God should assume in the life of a believer. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. No pursuit of God can be carried out in a half-hearted way. In order to grow and pursue it, it will require all that you are. In order to grow we must give him and be willing to lay aside and lay forth everything that we are hosea 10 12 it is time to seek the lord now is the time i cannot look at the times any different than to say all god is saying to us is it's time to get back to my business the signs of the times are not meant for fear there are Meant to tell the believer, I'm coming, get back to my business. There must be an urgency in every one of us to seek the Lord. He goes on in verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is 
no water. Surely when writing this, David must have been desperate in thirst. And no person desperate for water just sits and waits for someone to come and splash him in the face with it. No, that person would get up and earnestly and fervently seek after that valuable life source. And so it is for us spiritually. We must seek and thirst for God if we are ever to grow in Him. As a deer pants for water, so my soul does for God. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. I want you to know, my friends, if you don't know Christ, this world has tons of whales. All of them will taste very sweet at first. But they will only turn to bitterness. You will drink of them to seek satisfaction, only to be met with more emptiness. For out of Christ's innermost being flows rivers of living water. Our entire Christian walk should be spent hungering after God, longing after Christ, and savoring after the Spirit. And it is only in partaking of God that our soul's hunger and thirst will ever be satisfied. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborns, we should long for the milk of his word. And for all eternity, beloved, we shall drink and be satisfied from this eternal river of life, which is Christ Jesus And Christ Jesus alone. This is the prioritizing in a life that is passionate for God. Verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. David is looking back on on time when he's had an encounter with God within the tabernacle. We're not told exactly what this encounter is. But we see that in the dark trial of life. David is falling back on this encounter to give him peace and comfort. Can you imagine someone encountering God and their life not being changed? If you come to know Christ, your life will be drastically different. And if your life has had no change, then maybe you don't know Christ. You see, the higher view of God we have, the more we see his glory, his holiness, his sovereignty, all of his divine perfections. And as we prioritize God more, the more passionate we will become about his glorious majesty. A second mark. A passionate heart for God praises God. You see... What is down in the well comes up in the bucket. And what's down in the heart comes up and out of the mouth. Jesus said, for a man speaks out of the abundance of his heart. And as we read verse 3, we see what type of praise flows from a passionate heart. 
He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Now that's a statement I wish I had more time to expound on. That the love of God is better than anything. Nothing compares with, nothing can compete with the greatness of this love, not even life itself. This unconditional, unwavering, unending love that God has for his children. The Apostle Paul would say that the height and depth and width and length of this love is beyond all comprehension. What a love that he has. He says, my lips will praise you. This is a person with a passionate heart for God. This is a person who 24-7 in all circumstances, whether it be prosperity or adversity, there is an overflowing of praise being offered to God. It may not always be verbalized, but the point is, even when we find ourselves in the most difficult places in life, There should be nothing but praise that flows from our hearts because we didn't even deserve the breath that we're getting at this very moment. Can you think of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts who being in the stocks and chains in the bondage of a Philippian jail surely facing death sing praises with acclamation to God. So much so that God would use this to bring about salvation to the very Philippian jailer who presided over them. This is a life consumed with a passion for God. How often we sprint to prayer, but only limp to praise. This is not so with David. So it should not be with us either. It is my great conviction That there is no greater witness than for an unbeliever to see a Christian who in the midst of the fiery trials of life and suffering, instead of buckling under the pressure, instead of folding under the weight of the world and saying, this can't be for God, proclaims like Job, though you slay me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, I will lift up who you are. Is your heart on fire for God today? Is there a holy zeal in your life for the Lord? If so, it must come out in praise. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Will this praise be the anthem of your life? Oh, how I seek to make it mine. A third mark. A passionate heart for God finds pleasure in God. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The idea of rich and fat food here is the idea of a spread of food being placed before you with everything that your appetite could possibly desire before you. And David did not say, my body. He said, my soul is satisfied. 
don't you want to live this way? Don't you want to be this kind of believer? That there would be this supernatural reality about your life. This unwavering hope about you. Someone that is fully and completely satisfied in the Lord. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. All who eat of me will never hunger again. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Charles Spurgeon on preaching that exact text titled it, A Sip That Satisfies. One sip of rivers of living water will satisfy a soul for all eternity. He will never hunger again. He will never thirst again after this sip. Oh, how filling is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. To have a heart most passionate for God is to find most pleasure in Him. And this is not to say we can't have secondary sources of pleasure from family and friends, but that nothing else can compete with this pleasure found in God. There's a fourth mark. A passionate heart for God has a preoccupation with God. That is to say, and all it means is that you can't get your mind off of Him. You are stayed upon Jehovah. He says, when I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. David is saying, even when I wake up in the middle of the night, maybe it's from an earthquake. God is the first thought of my mind. I guarantee you there's a lot of God on your mind. I know it was on mine. You see, God is his life. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above. Oh, how we are to be a heavenly-minded people. That like Jonathan Edwards would say, God stamp eternity on our eyeballs. That we would live with this eternal perspective, living a life through the lens of Jesus Christ. That we would bring every thought captive to the Lord. We should be so preoccupied with God. It's hard to hurt your neighbor It's hard to abuse creation. It's hard to sin against God when your mind is fully preoccupied with Him. Look at verse 7. You have been my help. No one has helped you like God. No one has rescued you like God. No one has delivered you like God. He says, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. (laughs) That we would be constantly preoccupied with God. Before we move on, I want to note something and note something very important. David in this text has not once asked God for something. He hasn't asked God to deliver him from the wilderness. He hasn't asked for God to magically appear some sort of spring to get sustenance from. He doesn't look to God like some divine genie meant to just appease everything that he needs or wants. But he just 
ask for God. He doesn't want something from him. He just wants him. That we would be the same thing in our prayer lives. Not running, asking for everything, but just saying we want you and you alone will satisfy. Point five. A passionate heart for God perseveres through God. They lay hold of God by faith. And that's exactly what we read in verse 8. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. What a marvelous picture this is. David says, I can cling to God because his right hand upholds. David would say, as many in this room would, I am what I am by the grace of God. I lay hold of God because God laid hold of me. All things from him, to him, and through him. I have come to learn so much in becoming a parent. That in times when my son is afraid or he doesn't feel well. Oh how he clings to us. It's the only place he finds rest. It's the only place he finds comfort. And when you go to put him down, he just holds tighter. That's exactly how we should be with God. That in the midst of fear, that in the midst of anxiety, we cling to him. And we say, I will not let go. I lay hold of God. I won't let go. This reminds me of Jacob who wrestled with God all night. And he proclaimed, I will not let you go until you bless me. Do you know what it is for a soul, for your soul to cling to God? And say, I must know you more deeply. I need to know your character more. I need to understand your God more. To say, Jesus, I need you. In my life so much. Jesus said apart from me you can do nothing. And then Paul in Philippians 4.30 said I can do all things through who? Christ. What a contrast that makes. What a difference Christ makes. Nothing to all things. My soul clings to you Lord. The final mark. A passionate heart for God leads to a partnership with God. These people are not fence sitters, not lukewarm Christians, not half-hearted disciples, but those who have a definite partnership with the Lord. David's passion for God has driven him more and more to stand with God on every aspect of life and how more than ever we need to be a people who stand with God. Look at verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. You will have those who seek to bring you down in this life. Jesus says, Woe unto you when men speak well of you. And blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. David here is referring specifically to Absalom. 
He continues in verse 10. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. You see, David is saying this is what the outcome will be. Why? Because David is resting on the promises of God. He is saying, if God is for me, who can be against me? David is saying, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. David is saying to the very aspect of what Paul was trying to get at, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That even death itself only brings a believer victory. Verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. For those who are passionate for God, no one has a problem or an issue knowing where you stand. It is those who are lukewarm that people are unable to see what you stand for. This is what we want for our lives, to be blazing with passion for God. To, for people to know where we stand. Let us not be like the Laodiceans who in Revelation were spewed out from the mouth of the Lord for being lukewarm. Nothing disgusts and disturbs the Lord meaning than being lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you be cold. And what is lukewarm? It just means room temperature. It just means you've blended in. There's nothing distinctive about you. You're just tepid. Oh, we need to be a people on fire for God. And how this church, and I mean the people in this room, ought to be a pilot light for this world. A passionate heart will bear every one of these marks. A passionate heart will cause us to prioritize God. It will cause us to praise Him. It will cause us to find pleasure in Him. It will focus our mind to be preoccupied with Him. It will cause us to cling to Him and persevere through Him. It will cause us to partner with Him no matter what the cost. But where is your heart at today? I can see your bodies and by all moral standards, you're right where you need to be. But God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. The most important thing about you is your heart. And what does your heart say about you? Oh, that we would be a passionate people for God. You see, it was a passionate heart for God that caused John the Baptist to say, I must decrease so that he, Christ, must increase. It was a passionate heart for God that caused Stephen in the face of being stoned to death to preach the gospel with such boldness that it said his face shone like an angel. It was a passionate heart for God that caused Martin Luther to post 95 theses on the church to say we've gotten too far away from the word of God. It was a passionate heart for God that caused George Whitfield and John Wesley to storm up and down the coast of a growing nation and awaken a sleeping giant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was a passionate heart for God that caused William Carey to sell everything he owned, get on a boat from England in 1793 to India saying, the gospel must be known around the world no matter what it should cost me. And it was a passionate heart for God who every saint who has had to answer the question, denounce Christ or die, was able to say, 
I am his and he is mine. Often to that being the last words that they would ever say. And thank God we live in a blessed, beautiful nation where thus far we have been protected from that level of fear. The beautiful nations paved by the blood of men and women to give us the freedom to not have to fear that. So I'm not going to ask you today, will you die for Christ? Because I believe every passionate believer in here would say, absolutely. You better believe it. Not will you die for Christ, but will you live for Him? Will you make the decisions for Him when the gun's not pointed at your head? Will you make the decisions for Him at work when it might cost you your job? Will you make the decisions for Him in front of friends even though you might lose some? They weren't friends to begin with. Will you make the decision for Him in front of family even though it might hurt some feelings? But most of all, will you make the decisions for Him when no one's looking? When you're in the secret place. No fear of retribution. And those old temptations arise again. And the flesh groans weak. You see a passionate heart for God says. I will not go back to that slavery. Because I am a child of God. You see, it is a passionate heart for God that triumphs temptation. My friends, would we be a people who not only just pray for revival, but be a people who live revival? Oh, that we would be a fire once more for God. Please stand while we pray. Oh God, we renounce every anxiety that's in this room right now. We renounce every fear holding someone back. We renounce any work of the enemy that might be cast on someone's life. And we lift up your name. God, give us the grace in order that we would be a passionate people once more. That we would be, like you said, salt and light. And not a light that flickers. Not a light that constantly dims. But a light that blazes with your glory and your passion. Oh God, let us be your people. For you are our God. The mighty Jehovah. God, carry us, lift us up, and give us the passion we so need. Amen.